So did you know that um, the insurance and retirement business is a trillion dollar industry? Um, I, I didn't know that. And I don't even know what a trillion dollars is. I just know it's a lot of money. But it, it's, it just shows you that retirement and insurance business, the insurance business, a lot of people are investing their money for these things. And so, you know, from, from probably as early as college age, you're told you need to have coverage and you need to invest in your future retirement. You need to be prepared for the future. So just take a moment to think about all the different insurances there are. These are just a few, but auto insurance, boat insurance, uh, life insurance, uh, liability insurance, home insurance. And, and if you're east of 90, Highway 95, um, you have to have wind and hail insurance, which is more than your home insurance. You ever get, do you ever like go through that package you get for your home insurance? Just all the details that it says it covers. It's crazy. Home insurance, life insurance. Uh, then uh, here at the church, we have uh, liability insurance in case somebody trips and falls and breaks a bone. Or we have director's board of director's insurance in case I give bad advice and you decide to sue me. Um, I think it's up to a million dollars. Um, data breach insurance. Um, <laughs> and on and on and on. And then, by the way, once you have all those paid for, you need to at least give 10% of your income every year to your future retirement savings. That would be the wise thing to do. And so then the other day, I was talking to a friend of mine that had just recently went through a Dave Ramsey class and they cover all this. And I was so anxious after talking to him, not because I love Dave Ramsey, I love principles, but he told me about a new insurance or this new investment you need to make. And it's so important. It's more important than all of them. It's end of life care insurance. And they have all these facts that you spend more money on your end of life care like the last 10 to 15 years because of medical expenses. So not only once you reach the retirement goal and you spend all, all that money for 30 plus years, now you need to start over again to cover the last couple years because average, average, not the greatest care, but average home life care at the end is $5,000 a year. That doesn't cover your mortgage, doesn't cover your food. $5,000, did I say a year? I meant a month, so I'm sorry. $5,000 a month, that's just somebody showing up to check your pulse and give you medicine as I keep you alive. And so, I mean, I was just like, I'm going to give up on all this. But I bring all this to say, I find it really interesting. And by the way, I'm not saying any of that's bad. I'm just saying it's stressful. But, you know, I think it's really interesting that we are so well prepared for this life that we spend so much thought, so much money, and so much energy preparing for this life. And some of that's wisdom. But we're well prepared, but we have not put much thought or time into preparing for life after death. I mean, when's the last time you really just sat down and said, I need to I got my investment savings plan here. I need to spend some time thinking about life after death. What does scripture say? Let me just really think through this. When's the last time you've, you've done that? And here, I want to be clear on this. Like in the preach in church world, like you don't compare having salvation through faith and by grace in Jesus Christ to insurance. That's like a no-no. That's like the next. 
objective example. That's not what I'm doing today. I'm not saying you just need to be prepared for the end because I believe life today with Jesus is really good. But what I'm saying is I'm focusing on this idea of being prepared for life today, but not being prepared or not even reflecting or thinking about what happens after we die. So a couple questions to get us started. Have you thought much about what happens to you after you die? Have you spent much time thinking about that? Are you prepared to meet your maker? Are you prepared to face God's judgment? Are you confident that you will be welcomed into the kingdom of God? Welcomed into the kingdom of God. Have you put much time thinking about these things. This is what we're focused on when we're looking at Jesus' teaching today. And I, I want to say, I was, I was like relaxing at the beach yesterday, just real chill, life is good. And then I was looking, started thinking about my, this intense message we got to talk about today, which is good. It's like, it's good to take some time to think about the body. You know, Jesus talks about these things as though it's the most real thing to us. Right now, to me, this life, my concerns that I'm thinking about feel the most real to me. But in reality, what happens in the future is even more real. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, our lives on earth, these 60s, 70s, 80s, maybe 100 years on earth are like the title page of the book of eternity. The title page. But that title page feels so important, and I think it is important but it doesn't compare to how much the rest of the story of eternity will be like. And so we need to think about these things. We need to prepare for these realities. And so let's look at Matthew 13, verses 24 through 30. Jesus, we're in the middle of a series of Jesus's parables, which are stories that Jesus told to help us get an idea of what his kingdom is like. And so today he says, in verse 24, he says, he put another parable or story before them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed a good seed in his field. But while, he while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? I think they saw a bunch of extra work. And so he said to them, an enemy has done this. Then do you want us to go and gather the weeds out? He said, no, lest when you're gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. In the harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and then bind them into bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. And so this story is a simple story they would have understood. It's a farming story. There was a good farmer. He sowed good seed into a field to grow wheat. And in the middle of the night, an enemy came and sowed weeds. His servants wanted to go pick them out. He said, no, 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 let's wait till the very end, and we'll separate them at the end. We'll gather the weeds up, we'll bundle them up, and we'll burn them in the fire. And so Jesus was always telling these kind of vague stories to describe his kingdom. And the reason he, he tells us why he did this in the beginning of chapter 13. He did this because he wants us to lean into the story. He wants us 
to seek out to understand his kingdom. He's looking for people who are looking for him. And so he tells these stories that are not very straightforward. But then the disciples are, are similar to us. They don't get it on the first go-round. And so verse 36 through 43, it says this. Then he left the crowds that he had been teaching, this large crowd, and they went into a house, and his disciples came to him. So he was with his closest friends, his disciples, and he tells them the meaning. They said, explain us the parable of the weeds in the field. And so he said, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy that has sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out, out of his kingdom all causes of sin and lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. And this is one of the hard teachings of Jesus that you can't get around. It says, in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteousness, the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears should listen and respond. And so what does the story mean? Jesus breaks it down line by line. He said, the sower is the son of man, another title for Jesus. The field is the world we live in. The good seed are the people of the kingdom of God, those who have placed their faith in Christ alone. They're children of God, people of the kingdom. The enemy is the devil, and the weeds are the people of this world. And here's the hard part. There's no getting around it. If you're not in the kingdom of God, if you're not a child of God, it's not just all good. You're just doing your own thing. You're a child of the devil. And that because, that's because the devil has temporary authority over the world, and he's ruling the world. And so you're, a, you're identified with the world. And so that's what he says there. And then he says the weeds are the people of the world. And the harvest of the reapers is the harvest is at the end of the age, in the future, the end of the world, when God will send his angels to gather the people of the devil to be burned. And he describes it as weeping and gnashing of teeth. And I think that's interesting. It's really frightening, but I think it's interesting if you read the words of Jesus, you can't get around that the fact that there's heaven and hell. You can't get around the fact that hell will be a bad place. And Jesus goes into great detail to describe it with these words, weeping and gnashing. The pain will be so bad that you will gnash your teeth. Because uh, a lot of times people try to soften his teaching. But if you take it at face value, you got to do a lot of work to take it out of context. And so that is the picture here. And we know from other places in Matthew and the other Gospels, and we also know from the book of Revelation that Jesus will return one day at the end. He's going to return, and a series of events will take place. And we all don't agree on those, that series of events. But at some point during those events after his return, there will be a, a judgment of everyone, and you will face God in his judgment. And it says at that time, your deeds will be presented before God, and they will be judged. And, and no one 
uh, will not face God. Everyone will be brought forward to face him. And so from our kind of modern perspective, as we look back on this teaching and we look back on Jesus's teaching and at that time, it's easy to say, you know what? God sounds mean. This seems like unfair. This seems like an injustice. And so what I want to do is just kind of talk about that for a moment, kind of hit it from a different, couple different perspectives, because it's easy from our perspective to, to look at God and say, well, he should do that, or he should do this, but we're not God. And so I wanted a couple different perspectives. One is this, every once in a while, I'll, I'll, I'll talk to my friends who are married, and some of them have kids like me, and we'll talk about the injustices taking place in our marriage. And one of them, we feel, is... Um, you know, we're working hard, and then every once in a while, we'll do some extra stuff. You know, we'll come in and, and help take care of the kids extra. We'll, like, make dinner one night. We get real inspired and, like, step in and prep dinner, make it. And you know when you make dinner, you got to wash the dishes. Just go the extra mile there. Really step in and do some extra chores. And then, like, for the parents out there, like, instead of just sitting on a chair watching your wife do bath time and read a book to your kid and be a really good parent, actually take the lead and step in and, like, do the whole bath time. Actually scrub your child. Read them. Be present, fully engaged. You know, just really going above and beyond. I mean, working, working hard all day. Come on. And so what I've realized, this is all hindsight, reflection was, this it, I, I don't get this in the moment, not that wise. But it's like upon reflection, I'm thinking about all of our comments, we're amped up, getting, yeah, yeah, this is messed up. And so we're doing all this, and I realize there's an expectation that all of us have, all of these men that are my friends. We all have this similar expectation. And I would summarize that by this. We want our wives to respond in this way from just doing all that hard work. We want our wives to, when they look at us, to go, you're the man. You are so hot. I am so attracted to you. You are the man. There is no other man like you. You are the best. And it doesn't happen. Sometimes there's not even a mention that we went out of our way from our normal routine. And it's like, so then it's like, that's messed up. We're unappreciated. Not even a simple thank you. No way there's a, there's the man, you're the man. And so then it's like, we all agree, that's unjust. It's unjust. And then you read a book and it's like, well, the real problem was you don't understand their love language. They just want you to listen to them. And so, you know, that, but that's not the point of my story. The point of my story is, is this, is think about how, let me just acknowledge this before we move on. We're dumb. We're immature. We have bad expectations. And so that's part of the point. But think about how silly that is, how limited and short-sighted our perspective is to think that we served our wives a little bit more than normal. And, and because we didn't get the response, the exact response we wanted, we feel like that's an injustice, right? Look at God's perspective. Let's look at injustice. God's perspective is this. He, the Bible tells us he created the world, everything in it, heaven and earth, and all the things of the earth in love. He created a perfect environment. He created food not just to uh, give us nutrition and fuel, but he actually made it taste good. Take a banana. A banana has a perfect package. You pull it apart, you eat the banana, and you throw it on the ground, and it biodegrades 
feeds the earth and grows another banana. It's amazing. Eat an avocado, you put a little bit of salt on it, and it, it, guacamole, it's amazing. Like God is so creative. He didn't have to do that. He created everything in love. But, and, and how did humanity respond? Humanity rebelled against him. Rome, I love the way Paul puts it in Romans 1. He said, this rebellion could be summed up in two ways. He said, the first is, humanity refuses to give God credit for being God. Refuses to worship God. Refuses to acknowledge that God is creator and that he's worthy of our praise, which is rebellion. And the second thing, not only that, do we refuse to give him credit, but we've replaced him. We've worshiped the banana. But the Bible says that you've traded the glory of God for his creation. We've actually worshiped the things. We've given credit and praise and our time and affection and energy to things God has made rather than giving him the credit he is due. That's called idolatry or adultery. So not only do we refuse to, to worship him, we've replaced him. That is the essence of all of our sin. And so what is God's response? Does he kill us? No. He sent his son to live in our conditions, all the limitations of being human, to live the law perfectly, fulfill it, become a righteous sacrifice. Die on a cross at, in human hand, by human hands, be raised from the grave so that the whole world would hear about it. And then he makes it through that. He makes a way for us to be forgiven and restored into a right relationship with the Father, to be reconciled rebels, to be reconciled back to him. And then many people still don't believe. Many people still don't listen. Many people still don't respond. That is injustice. That is is injustice. So is God not fair for his judgment? No, because his judgment is preceded by so much love and grace and generosity and second chances. And his, his, so his justice is well deserved. For his judgment is well deserved. And so I, I think it's, we have to look at it from his perspective. There's been so much generosity. But then I love this, because that's what Jesus is doing here. He's saying, look, this is what's coming. Trust my words. I said I would be raised from the dead in three days. Trust my words. This is coming in the future. You can trust them. But then I love that he wraps up this, this warning message through a story with, with his heart. Verse 43 shows the heart of God. He says, if you, would listen, if you would hear and listen, if you would hear and listen, if you would hear the gospel message and respond in repentance and belief and be saved and reconciled to me. God's heart is that we would hear his, his love and respond to it. I love what 2 
Peter chapter 3, verse 8 through 10 says, But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't being slow to fulfill his promise to return one day. No, as some people think, no, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. That's his heart. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. I love that. I love that he straight up says his heart. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed. That is a byproduct of being righteous and sin. His desire is that everyone should be saved. That's why he made a way for that to happen. And so his heart is to rescue us from our sins, from ourselves and to save us, and to bring us into his kingdom, and to give us more than we could ever experience on our own. That's his heart. I love that. And that's followed by his judgment. And so as we close here, I want to return to those questions to think about this time. What can we do to prepare to meet our maker? Because Jesus says it's going to happen. You know, we want to eliminate risk here on earth. We spend a lot of money, time, and energy trying to eliminate risk. But the reality is there is a 100% death rate. It's been proven over and over and over. Yet we still don't like to face that. We still don't like to think about it. But it would be in our best interest is to reflect on the future so that we can learn to live well today. And so, have you thought much about what happens after you die? Have you spent much time doing that? When's the last time you just put, a, put aside your to-do list and reflected on Scripture? Jesus promises to return one day. Jesus' promises that there will be a judgment. Jesus promises for those in his kingdom there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And you'll be able to enjoy his unfiltered presence of love forever and ever and ever. And for those who do not receive that gift, we'll spend forever separated from love, from God himself. And there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And that informs how we live today. Have you, when is the last time you've spent time reflecting on that? And the second question is, are you prepared to meet your maker, to face God. When I hear myself say that, it freaks me out. I'm like, oh gosh, what do I got to do? I'm going to get a little better. I was just a jerk yesterday. I got to make sure I don't do that today. It's like this fear motivation to get right, right? But, but, but uh, there's more to it than that. I think there's a healthy fear, kind of like going in the ocean, knowing that the ocean can kill you, but you still go in the ocean, but you respect it. There's a healthy fear. The Bible says fear is the beginning of wisdom, skill in living. But but there's more to that. Are you prepared to meet your maker, to face God and his judgment? And so here's what what we need to do is is we all know the only hope when we face God will, will be whether or not we have faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he was risen from the grave, you will be saved. It's a promise. Something supernatural happens in heaven and in your heart when you place your faith in Christ. It's, it's amazing. 
It's a pure gift. That is the foundation and the only thing we have to rest on when it comes to facing God's judgment. But there's, there's one other thing I'd like to say is because, because you could talk about so many other things because it's not just about how to have, you know, fire insurance as a terrible pastor joke or how to have like Jesus insurance so that you can face God one day. There's no other answer other than Jesus, but your life today matters. We could talk about the importance of obedience. We could talk about the importance of spiritual discipline so that you grow in the character of Christ. We could talk about discipleship. We could talk about evangelism. We could talk about stewarding your money. We could talk about how important our relationships are. All those things, love. But I just want to say there's one thing to summarize all those things that I think will help prepare you for that day when you will face God is after you've made that commitment and that, that, that decision to trust him for salvation is spend your days trying to be as close to Jesus as possible. Do what is necessary each day to stay close to Jesus. And what happens when you do that? Obedience flows from your life. What happens when you spend time with Jesus The natural byproduct is your character is developed. What happens when you truly spend time with Jesus, you actually become more loving to those you care about most and people you don't really care about at Costco. You become more loving because you're hanging out with Jesus. And so that can be one simple answer that encompasses all the other things. Did you know that when you hang out with Jesus, you'll actually be more motivated to go to church and worship with believers than be sitting on Wrightsville Beach right now? (laughs) I love Wrightsville Beach. I love Mason, but I love the whole deal. It's incredible. I did this earlier in another message and I decided that I'm not going to spend any time making jokes about whether you should be at the beach or at church and the Holy Spirit being in both places and all that. We just won't go there. That'll be a series. But the question is, are you prepared to meet your maker to face God? Two things you need to do. The first is the most important. Have you ever declared Jesus as Lord? Have you placed your faith in him for salvation? That is your only hope. And what you can do today until the day you die, is spend time with Jesus. Do whatever it takes to spend time with Jesus, and that will lead to so many other good things. And the final question is this, is are you confident you will be welcomed into God's kingdom? That's another one of those questions that, that makes me like want to sit up straight, get serious. Are you well, ready? Do you, are you confident that God will welcome you into your kingdom. And so if you're like me, you start thinking about all your good deeds. Do I have enough good deeds? Do I have a, you know, I know I'm saved by grace, but am I really sold out for Jesus? Ooh, I love the beach. You know, you start thinking about all these things and you're trying to think, do my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds on top of that foundation of grace? But that's not what I'm talking about here. I want you to just take a moment. If you are a child of God, Jesus will look into your eyes on that day with penetrating love. He will see your soul and you will be overwhelmed by his love because you are his child and he will smile at you, welcome you in to the kingdom of heaven. 
because he's so excited because being in his presence, in his kingdom, is better than any experience you've ever had on this earth. Think about all the amazing experiences we've been able to have on this earth. Being in his presence, in his kingdom, in the new heaven and new earth is going to be infinitely better than any experience or accomplishment or achievement you can have here on this earth. And so I believe he will be smiling at those who are his children, welcoming them into his kingdom. Jesus is the most hospitable person in the world. Like you go to Chick-fil-A, you're like, oh, they're so hospitable. They say, my pleasure. Like, full of sin. (laughs) Nothing against Chick-fil-A. But for comparison, Jesus is the most hospitable because he is the definition of love. And there will be nothing in between us and his love. And so he will welcome you, if you're a child of God, in to his kingdom. And so that should cause us to long for his kingdom to come, for his will to be done. That should cause us to look forward to the day where we face our king, knowing confidently that we are children of God because nothing we've done. He's not going to roll out the list of bad deeds and hold them to you because his son has taken care of that. It's like that business is over. He is going to welcome you. I can't say it enough. Because we need to hear the truth about God's love for us and that applied love for those who believe in him. Look forward to the day when you get to meet your maker. And you can be confident if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, I am so thankful for your word that tells us this truth. This is not a made-up story, God. But you have gifted us with your word and that gives us the ability to know your heart. We're not speculating here, Lord. You've given us the ability to understand and know your thoughts for us, that you love us, that you do not wish for any of us to perish but you desire us to reach out and grab onto your saving arm. God, I pray for those who are children of God here today that this grace message would give them confidence and give them motivation to live their lives sold out for you because of the gift they have been given. God, we are desperate for your love. We are helpless without your grace. We give you all the glory and all the credit. In Jesus' holy name, amen.